Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Brexit Unspun. This is where we debunk the political spin around Brexit. I'm Shona Jenkins, and today I'm joined by Sarah O'Connor, employment editor, and Chris Giles, economics editor, to discuss the likely impact of Britain leaving the EU on our economy. Will it be good, bad, or in fact have no great impact at all? As usual, let's start with what the politicians have been telling us. Chris, could you outline what the Brexiteers and the Remainers were telling us in the run-up to the referendum last year? Well, pretty much the Remainers were saying that the immediate effect on the economy would be terrible. We'd probably go into a recession, a shallow one, but definitely a recession. That's what George Osborne, then the Chancellor, said. And the Brexiteers were pretty confident that things were going to be fine. If you went just away from the politicians to sort of the Brexit-supporting and Remain-supporting economists... They were closer to the worried sign for the short term, at least. They were all pretty much thinking there'd be a bit of a jolt, even the Brexit-supporting economists. And as we can see, that showed the economists got it wrong. So, Sarah, maybe you can elaborate on that. What has happened since then? So there was no recession. In fact, the economy sort of sped up, actually, in the second half of last year. So, yeah, a lot of economists with egg on their face, and indeed, you know, some of us here at the FT. I think the thing that, one of the key things that, a lot of economists and politicians got wrong was that we assumed there would be this big kind of confidence shock that as soon as that vote came through saying we were leaving the EU, businesses would stop investing, people would stop going shopping, all of the things that happened when Lehman Brothers went bust. You know, we had this sudden falling off a cliff. And actually, I think what we failed to properly recognise was that actually, if most people wanted this thing, why would they think it was a bad thing? So consumers continued to spend, the economy trundled on. I write about employment, the jobs market was fine. Employers kept hiring people. The data that we had this week showed that actually employment is now at a new record high. So yeah, the immediate impact was pretty much negligible with one exception, and that was that sterling fell really sharply, about 15%, and it has stayed very weak ever since. So the big implication of that is that it's pushed up inflation. And so what we're starting to see now is the kind of the slower burn effect of Brexit, which is that inflation is starting to overtake wage growth. And that means that Britons are getting poorer again. Yeah, I mean, I think what happened was that economists got the sterling reaction right, and so the politicians did as well. But then economists maybe thought the population was a bit more rational and would immediately react to knowing that they were going to be poorer in the future, that they would then tighten their belts immediately, because why wouldn't you if you know you're going to be poorer when prices start going up? And that didn't happen. But now it's happening to people. So we're going through a period where... We don't know how long this period is going to be necessarily, but people are feeling squeezed again. And certainly the evidence we've got right at the moment says consumption is, if not falling, we're not really growing at all. And so the economy has slowed down right now, down to levels which are well below other countries similar to Britain. So at the risk of getting more egg on our faces in the future, 
Why don't we shift ahead to 2019 when Britain is supposed to actually leave the EU? What are the biggest fears for the economic impact after the divorce, Chris? I mean, I think there's two things that we need to think about. One is the very long term, so well after 2019. And I don't think anything that was said before the referendum has really been proved to be true or not true. So we're still in that same situation where essentially economics says that because our trading relationship with the EU, our biggest trading partner, is likely to be worse than it was before, this is likely to hit our economy to a very, very difficult to no extent. So the ranges are enormous, but negative of some size, potentially large, potentially small, depending on exactly what the deal is. So that's the very long term, and that will depend very much on what the outcome is. Then there's a second thing, which is the actual process of leaving, whether that has any economic effect. And that's almost certainly going to be governed, and I think we have a much better idea of this now, by whether we leave with essentially a good transition deal so that not very much material happens in the short term and then you work towards your long-term position, or whether we crash out and have a big bust-up with Europe, in which case we end up having essentially none of the institutions in place to run the economy as it's run at the moment, in which case the short-term effects could be very difficult. You know, goods not going across borders properly, those sorts of things. We have no idea whether that's going to be a problem yet, but that will depend crucially on the negotiations. Are there any possible benefits that you can see, Sarah? There's one kind of outcome that you could argue would be quite good and that some people indeed do argue will be good, which is that, okay, a lot of employers are really worried about the notion of a post-Brexit economy where they can no longer access all of these skilled and unskilled people from the EU. But some Brexiteers would say, well, actually, what that will force employers to do is to learn how to run their businesses differently. So that would be hire more young British people, invest in training. At the minute, British employers don't invest very much in workplace training. So train your own, grow your own talent and pay them more, because actually, if there's a sudden shortage of labour, then maybe wages will go up. And clearly, one of the problems that the British economy has had for going on 10 years now is very weak wage growth. So that is the optimistic scenarios that actually you see a kind of different equilibrium, whereas instead of lots of low paid, low quality, low productivity jobs, you see an economy where employers are investing in skills and training in machines, all of these things that make us more productive. That said, personally, I'm really sceptical that it will happen that way. There have been lots of incidents in the past where politicians have tried to do this exact thing of restricting workers coming from overseas to try and boost native people's wages. And often it just doesn't happen. What happens instead, this happened in America in the 1960s, they banned immigrants coming in to work in the fields. And instead of that boosting wages for American labourers, what happened was farmers started using machines to harvest their tomatoes, or they just stopped growing certain things altogether. So it's not a kind of simple solution. But that's certainly one of the optimistic scenarios that people are talking about. I think we also have to say, when you talk about the downsides of losing trade with other countries, there are potential gains from potentially having other free trade agreements with currently non-EU countries where the UK might get a deal before the EU does, and in particular the US would be the obvious example. How much benefit that would necessarily give the UK is extremely unclear and that again depends very much on what the deal is not just whether you can sign a piece of paper because you can sign very bad trade deals very very quickly so if the thing is to get a trade deal we can easily end up by signing a very bad one with the eu and a very bad one with the us and end up in a pretty nasty position 
So, Chris, are there areas of the economy that are more threatened by leaving the EU than others? And what are the bright spots? Well, let me assume, for example, that we get a free trade deal in manufactured goods with the EU, which is definitely the easier bit, and some sort of customs arrangement so goods can flow across borders relatively straightforwardly. So therefore, manufacturing is not particularly hard hit by leaving the EU. Then the big area of uncertainty is services, because services, and particularly financial services, are much less commonly in free trade agreements than goods. Now, Britain is obviously a very heavily services economy, but you can exaggerate how much that's ever traded. But financial services are important for particularly the City of London It's important not to exaggerate the size of the city of London. Also, it's about 3% of the UK economy. It's not as big as people think. But the city is potentially quite hard hit if there isn't a deal because currently we can passport, in the jargon, financial services from the city to the rest of Europe. The city does provide a lot more tax revenue to the government. So in the sense that people are very well paid and sometimes might be overpaid there, it's very tempting for European countries to say, we'll have a bit of that. We get as much of it as we can. And so I would have thought a deal there is actually quite difficult because where we would like to see ourselves as providing a mutual benefit to the whole European economy and that other countries benefit from these services in London, they see us as maybe leeching off them and stealing their tax revenue. And so that tension between how we both see the same industry means it's much harder to get a deal in those areas. And bright spots? Well, I mean, the manufacturing industry is one of the potential bright spots. And we've seen since sterling has fallen that manufacturers have enjoyed a bit of a lift from the fact that their exports are now a bit cheaper and a bit more competitive. And obviously, one of the problems that the British economy has suffered from for a long time is this kind of imbalance. You know, it is pretty lopsided. It has relied an awful lot on financial services. And so you might say that a post-Brexit economy where there's a little bit less finance and a little bit more manufacturing wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Okay, thanks, Chris and Sarah, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week for another unvarnished look at what Brexit will mean for Britain's trade, economy, public institutions and private sector. We hope you'll join us then, and we'd be delighted in the meantime if you wanted to review or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you download. You can also email us at brexitunspun, that's all one word, at ft.com if you have a question or would like to suggest a topic for future episodes. You can also look at our daily newsletter on Brexit, Brexit Briefing. That's available at ft.com forward slash Brexit Briefing, all one word. 